You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Good to see everybody this weekend. Find somebody around you and say, I'm glad you're at church today, homie. Really glad y'all are all here. It's been a wild week. Hey, we're going to get straight into the sermon today. No announcements uh, by way of preface. We're in the ninth week of our series through the book of James. If you're new to Rev Church, joining us online, what we like to do about 90 to 95% of the time is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible. We feel like that's the best way for us corporately to study Scripture. And I would encourage you, uh, in your quiet time, that's the best way for you to study Scripture as well because it gives everything the full context of whatever it is you're reading. If you remember the book of James, the whole theme is real faith produces genuine works. And James is writing to Christians that are struggling in their walk, but also people that are professing Uh, faith in Jesus, but not possessing faith in Jesus, if that makes sense. If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about earthly wisdom versus godly wisdom. And it's important that we remember that. If you didn't watch it, go back and watch it because it'll tie in uh, to the sermon today. Also, last week, we talked about when Christians fight corporately and when they fight individually and how fighting is only cured by submitting humbly to God. You'll see some of these themes constantly through the book of James, humility and things like that. Well, today uh, we're going to see more ways to spot a Christian that is struggling with full surrender or more ways to spot someone that claims to be a Christian but really does not possess the Holy Spirit and know Jesus. One preacher called this passage of Scripture, chapter 4, verses 11 through 17, he named his sermon, The Subtle Sin of the Saints. And we'll see it broken up into two parts today. I can remember when my kids, they're about three years apart. One of them was about six or seven, and the other was about three or four. I was making pancakes one morning for them, and they started to argue about who would get the first pancake. Uh, Any parents ever been there before? And I thought to myself, this is a good opportunity for me to teach my kids a good biblical lesson. And so I looked at both of them and I said, you know, let's just ask WWJD, what would Jesus do? I think Jesus would want his brother or sister to have the first pancake. Without skipping a beat, my son Titus looked at Elizabeth and said, you can be Jesus today. Now that has to do with serving, but the idea with the passage today is people that try to be Jesus, replace Jesus. They try to be God in a couple of different ways. Let's see what it says in James 4, starting in verse 11. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Look at the very first verse. You might get a mini-sermon after this first verse. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. If you'll allow me just to go off for a minute, stop my timer. This doesn't count as my time. I'm ringing just a little, Mike, at the end here. But stop my timer. This doesn't count towards my sermon. I want to tell you what I've learned about slander. Because in the last couple of months, our church corporately and myself individually, I've went to a whole new level of understanding and having wisdom about slander. For 10 years, Our church has been hated on by various different people, and any church that's doing what God wants them to do, 
uh, they better be getting hated on because if nothing's wrong, something's wrong. Y'all know what I'm saying? We went over that spiritual warfare series at the end of the year. And if your church, the only thing that's happening is they're getting the key to the city and everybody loves them, something's off because you're not making the enemy upset. And so for 10 years, we've been hated on. But, but the last two months, since God opened up uh, the ability for us to be able to purchase the movie theater, it's went to a whole new level. And I've learned a lot about slander. Now, I'm going to preach this mini-sermon to you and try not to get in the flesh. But again, this doesn't count towards my time, so don't judge me for this, okay? Three things. I was really praying about it this week, and I was thinking about slander, gossip, and when people lie about you that I've learned in the last couple of months. Number one, you're not wiser after you hear slander. And so you need to consider how it affects you, not just the one saying it or the one that's being slandered about. Two months ago, when news broke through a couple of Crossville tabloid-type things that we were buying the movie theater, y'all remember what happened on social media? Thousands of comments, thousands of shares, people saying all kinds of things. And I understand that the people that commented were less than a tenth of the percent of the population of Crossville. But one thing I also know is, while everybody didn't comment, we all read those comments, didn't we? I don't even have a Facebook account, and I'm looking at my wife's Facebook account just so I can get on there and read, learning all kinds of stuff about myself and our church and all the purchase and all that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all, oh, y'all didn't do it. It was the first and third service. They're the ones who read the comments. I didn't get on there and read the comments. I knew it wouldn't benefit me. Y'all did. You know you did. See, I knew this, but it's really been set in stone with me. Every single one of us has a proclivity to want to hear the gossip. We want to hear the negativity. What's everybody saying? What's the word around town? Who's being slandered? Who's being lied about? We all want to see that stuff. And the reality is, it does absolutely nothing for you. It definitely doesn't do any good for you, and it could be hurting you. So consider that. Consider how it affects you. Number two, consider the character of the people that are slandering. Slander has one thing in common with people that do it. They're not talking directly to the person. And it's for a reason. Because they're cowards. They have false courage. In our circumstance, they're keyboard courage or keyboard warriors. Y'all know what I'm saying? And what I've learned is, especially in this age of social media, people will say the most insane things about you, about your church, about your walk with God, about whatever online that they would never say to someone's face. I don't know, maybe I'm old school, get off my lawn guy that's kind of like got too many gray hairs and stuff like that. But I kind of think it'd be good if when people said the things they say online, they did get punched in the face like they did when I was young. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because if you talk to people that way when I was young to their face, you may get in a fight. You may get whooped. You may have somebody come and confront you to your face. And the problem today is, and you need to know this, when people talk crap online, ain't nobody there to punch them in the face. Y'all know what I mean? So consider that. Consider their character. And thirdly, and this is most important, I just want to encourage you with this. If you are going to do anything, and I mean anything for God, you're going to be slandered. 
You're going to be gossiped about. You're going to be lied about. It could cost you relationships. It could make certain relationships awkward. So you better consider the cost of really following Jesus. I'm not talking about this popcorn Christianity that most churches preach where it's just come and sit and we'll give you a motivational speech. I'm talking about if you're really going to discover your purpose and make a difference and get on board with a group of people that mobilizes in order to spread the gospel, then you better be ready, man. You better consider the cost. If you're looking for a motivational speech and just to come and kind of sit on your blessed assurance and have a good time at church and, and be the church, that, that don't come here. Listen, if you're joining us online today, checking it out, don't come here. You'll be miserable because we're pushing. We're pushing. We're doing everything we can to get the gospel out because every second there's people that die and go to hell. We want people to meet Jesus and we want people to be set free. And we are in the middle of a war. This is a war. And the enemy is pissed off. I'm trying to clean my language up. I'm sorry, y'all. I don't know how to say it other than that, though. Y'all, we baptized an 85-year-old just now. We're baptizing a... Listen. Yeah. We're baptizing a six-year-old next service. 85 to 6 and everything in between is who we're reaching. You think the enemy wants to make us ineffective? See, here's what you've got to understand. As soon as you meet Jesus, Satan no longer concerns himself with dragging you to hell. As soon as you meet Jesus, his concern then is to make you completely ineffective for God's kingdom. And so slander, I'm just going to tell you, it's cancel culture. The idea behind slander is make them shut up. Well, I better not say anything because people may get mad. I better not, better, not, better not talk about what all God's done. Y'all, I don't care if 50,000 people hate our church. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. We're going to keep talking and giving testimony to what God has done in Crossville, Tennessee. And you better keep doing it too. Is everybody with me? Say amen. We speak to it now. That doesn't give you a pass to go argue with people. I'm not saying that. Okay, we've made, and that doesn't give you a pass to be mean to people. But I'm telling you, this whole idea, slander, the whole thing behind it. How did abortion get passed in America? Because nobody would speak truth. Why is LGBTQ taking over the whole month of June? Because Christians won't speak truth. In love. Please let me say that again. In love. Bad things happen. When you're afraid of what everybody's going to say about you. The only scripture I kept coming to my mind this week when I was thinking about this. Again, this is my second sermon, okay? This doesn't count. I'll tell you when to start the timer. John chapter 9, the blind man that was healed. I just kept thinking about that this week. I, was, I can't believe this week we landed. What a timely sermon series for our church, the book of James, right? John chapter 9, there's this guy that's blind. Jesus spits a loogie on the ground, makes mud. It's awesome. You can remember it because of that, right? Puts it on his eyes, and the guy's healed. Well, there's a group of unbelievers. They're religious unbelievers, but nonetheless, they're unbelievers. doesn't matter who it is. They bring this blind guy before them, trying to get him to shut up about the truth, trying to get him to say something different than what actually happened. And I love the testimony the blind guy gave. It was real simple. All I know is I met Jesus, and I was once blind, and now I see. This is what slander does. 
Keep the truth silent. Change your story. Don't invite people to church because they may be one of those people online that hates the fact that we did this. Actually, we didn't do it. God did it. Y'all know what I'm saying? Is everybody with me? Say amen. So we're storming the gates of hell at this church. Consider the cost. Consider the cost. Because if you're just here because you want a cool youth group for your kids to go to, that's a great reason to come. And we're not hating on you, but you ain't going to be happy for a while because we're going to shake the gates of hell. And if you think we've done it the last 10 years, we're getting ready to see God do some amazing things in this town. Amen, Rev Church. Sorry, sorry. Now we'll get back to the real sermon. Start the timer. Three, two, one. Now. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, once again, just let me point this out. James writes the book of James to Christians. Okay, He makes it clear. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, brothers and sisters, you see this language all throughout. In other words, we don't have these expectations that we're going to talk about today with lost people. You can't expect lost people that don't have the Holy Spirit to act like they do have the Holy Spirit. But we do expect our brothers and sisters in Christ to do these things. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? First, James talks about people that get their role mixed up and they start to play God in other people's lives. Last week, we were talking about the vertical relationship with God. And now in the first part of this passage, James moves to the horizontal relationship with other people. In verse 11, James deals with people that are leaving God out of their speech. He says, you're you're slandering people. You're leaving God out of your speech. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 of James, if you remember, we spoke about how our tongue is untamable in our own strength. So what James is reiterating here is we have got to train ourselves to think differently about what we say. Slander is a funny thing. In the South, we have this idea that we can slander, speak against a brother or sister, and it's okay as long as whatever we say at the end of it, we say, bless his heart. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We have all these goofy things that we say. I've said them. Y'all have said them. I'll bless his or her heart. Oh, I, I really like him or her as a person, but... Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I don't mean to be critical. You might know what I'm talking about. Church people are the best at this, aren't we? Stop me if I'm wrong, but James is saying, and this is powerful, to speak against another is to speak against the law. Remember a few weeks ago when the book of James talked about the golden rule, how that summarized the law, the idea that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. What James is saying is don't judge people or trample all over them to fulfill your own desires. We unpack desires several times through this passage last week in particular. He's saying when we do this, we are saying God's law to love your neighbor as yourself, does not apply to me 
or my treatment of this person in this situation. In other words, what we're saying when we judge someone else is we know better than God does. In verse 12, he talks about how when you leave God out of your speech, it leads to then usurping God's role as judge in other people's lives. He uses some language here that can be kind of Old Testament sort of confusing, but what he means is you cannot slander the law to love people as you love yourself. In other words, to judge people and take God's place without slandering God. Why? Because he's the lawmaker and he's the lawgiver. And to put ourselves above his laws and his demands is to put ourselves above him. This is the original sin in the Garden of Eden. We spoke at length in several other sermons about how this is the sin that happened in heaven when Lucifer rebelled against God. He wanted to replace God as the judge. We don't usurp God's role. James is saying, don't forget who he is, but also in the same breath, he's saying, don't forget who you are as well. Probably the best parable we have or something that Jesus would have to say that would line up with this passage would be the parable that Jesus gave about the prodigal son. Uh, Even if you're not highly churched in here, don't read the Bible a whole lot. You probably know the story of the prodigal son. It's pretty popular even in secular culture. And you know the idea. Uh, Young man takes his inheritance, goes and blows it. He ends up in the pig pen. He comes back home just to beg his dad to be able to possibly be like a slave or a servant. The dad sees him coming through the field. And by the way, the symbolism is the dad is God. He's the judge. He runs to him, wraps his arms around him, puts a ring on his finger, puts a cloak around his neck, welcomes him in, say, we're having the biggest party ever. Go kill the fatted calf. If you remember in the second part of the story, who shows up and gets angry? The older brother. He's upset. He's full of bitterness. If you actually go back and read the story, he slanders his younger brother because he says he took his inheritance and spent it on prostitutes. It never said he did that. He just made it up, lied about him, slandered him. What James is saying is, don't be the older brother. James is saying, How we treat others reflects our view of who God is. And the way we treat others is determined by God and his commands and his words, not our own selfish desires and wants like the prodigal older brother. So God is the only one who can justly judge. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who can destroy, not us. Let's look at the next part of the passage. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. And let's look at James talk about, so first he talks about people that play God in other people's lives, which inevitably leads to people playing God in their own life. Watch what he says in verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Plain God in your own life. This was written 
to traveling merchants of the day when he uses this language. You know, we'll go to a city for a year, we'll make money, build relationships and sell some stuff. It's written to traveling merchants, but, but it's familiar language for every single one of us when it comes to everyday planning. Now, let me just say this. Planning is not bad. Having an entrepreneurial spirit is not bad. And I said that word without messing it up. I'm pretty sure. Give me a hand, y'all. Entrepreneurial. I think I said it right. If you're an English teacher in here, just say amen. Okay. God will bless you. Okay. It's not bad. Trying to make money is not bad. God is not against planning. What James is speaking to is when we get so caught up in everyday life, our temptation is to forget about God. What God is against is planning that does not acknowledge Him in every single area of our lives. Have you ever noticed it seems to be easier to give God the big things, to pray about the big decisions, but when it comes to the little things in everyday life, it gets a lot harder. If we look at the B part of this passage and break it down verse by verse, let me, let me tell you what verse 13, 14, 15, 16 means, and I'll put it on the screen for you to give you a simple explanation. In verse 13, uh, James is speaking to people that leave God out of their plans. If we break this verse down specifically, let's just go through it. He says, today or tomorrow, in other words, people that set their own schedule, we will go to this or that city. In other words, people that are selecting their own path. We'll spend a year there. People that select their own limits. Carry on business. People that are selecting their own activities and will make money. In other words, you're selecting your own outcome. You haven't even given thought to asking, what's God's will? Should I even go? Do you want me to make money, God? What he says is, in verse 14, what this is tied to is our view of the future. The A part of this verse speaks to our view of the future and how you don't know the future. Nobody in here, like you can make your plans, but if you make them without God, the realization is you don't know what's going to happen today, much less tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. You have no clue. See, every single one of us, here's the reality, we're not immortal. We are one heartbeat away from death. You could live to be 90 years old, or you could die tonight. No one knows but God. And that's why in verse 14, the B part of the verse, James deals with our view of ourselves when he speaks to the fact that life is a vapor. He hearkens back to Hebrew poetry in the book of Ecclesiastes that also says, your life is just a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. I make coffee every single morning in my kitchen. And when I get up and make my coffee, I stand there and wait for my coffee maker to go through the whole cycle of making the coffee. Because at the end of it, when it gets down to the last bit of water that it's making hot, uh, it shoots steam out the top. And, and I like to put my face in that steam in the mornings. It like wakes me up, loosens my nose up. I can blow my nose easier. Is that gross, y'all? Do I got you back now? Okay, good, good. Um, and, and I like to do that. But if you look about six inches above where that steam is shooting out, you can't even see it anymore. That's your life. It's like standing out in the cold and you can see your breath. It's about six inches away and it just disappears. This is what he's speaking to. The idea that even a long life, 
You live to be 90. Flies by. Youth does not last. If there are people at Revolution Church that are in their 90s, they would tell you, I guarantee you, they would tell you, it feels like yesterday that I graduated high school. More seasoned people in here? Am I lying? Everybody say amen. Okay, I said more seasoned. You're not old, okay? You're not old. Okay, if that's you, look at your neighbor and say, I ain't old. You know what I mean? You're not. You're just more seasoned. You have more experience. In fact, let me give you some tips, more seasoned people, okay? Here's your tip. You don't have gray hair. You have wisdom highlights. That's what that's called. I got gray all coming in my beard. It's wisdom highlights. The more seasoned people in here would tell you that as you get older and get more wisdom, things just start to click. Would the more seasoned people agree with me? Things start to click. Amen, y'all? Your neck starts to click. Your back starts to click. Your knees start to click. Everything starts clicking. <laughs> I want to tell you all this, but I don't want to. My dad told me this joke. My dad's 70. He's had some health challenges the last couple of years. He told me this. This is just another tip. It has nothing to do with the sermon, really. But if you're more seasoned in here, this is probably good advice for anybody in here, not just if you're more seasoned and older. But my dad said, what I got to be careful of now is, you know, I can't take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. You know what I mean? So don't do that. Start your diet today, okay? Don't go eat after this. But what, what James is saying is, it's kind of like that riddle, what goes up but never comes down, your age. And what James is saying is, when you get more sand in the bottom of the hourglass, you start to realize how quickly life goes by. And he's encouraging the younger people to make that realization now, because what you need to do is squeeze every bit of God moments out of your life as you can. Don't waste time. Even in the small things, include God. Verse 14 he says that specifically, include God in everything. He uses this phrase. Instead, what you should say is, if it's God's will. Now, this isn't just a Christian slogan or some mindless formula that we repeat at the end of everything we say. Well, if it's God's will, and then we go right back to doing things the way we want to do it. No, it means the idea is pray without ceasing. God, help me to stay in your will in every single thing I do. Even the little things, not just the big things, you pray about those. You do the best you can to be in his will no matter what. The question this weekend is, are you doing that with everything in your life? And I struggle with this. It's thinking about like, my son comes to me and says, I want to play baseball. And I just automatically go, oh, okay, that sounds great. But have I prayed about it? And we plan our vacations and we plan this and that. But have you prayed about it and said, God, is this your will that we do this or buy this or make this decision or whatever it is? Because if you're not doing that, verse 16 makes clear that what that leads to is our own arrogant schemes, which are boasting and evil. It causes us to be people that have an arrogant view of the future and an arrogant view of ourselves. We're playing God in our own lives, an arrogant view of ourselves, so we plan the future out because we think we know what's best. To make this easy, easily applicational, let me explain it to you this way. What James is dealing with in the B part of this passage is this idea. Let me explain it this way. 
There are two things that the New Testament speaks to that show what's most important in your life. The first thing that the Bible says is where your money goes. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. If I could see your checkbook and your transactions in your bank account, I know what you care about the most. The second thing is your calendar. What do you spend your time doing? James is speaking to your calendar. James is speaking to how you spend your time. James is speaking to the idea of you can't make plans without God. Even in your everyday life, how you do everything in your life, you need to be asking God, should I be doing this? Lord, lead me, guide me, protect me, send me where you want me to go. Because in verse 17, he makes it very clear. If you know what to do and you don't do it, you got zero excuse. Zero excuse. Like you're going to be glad you came to church this weekend because I'm getting ready to tell you some stuff you got zero excuse for. Zero. Every one of us knows that if you're a Christian and you love God, you should spend daily time with Him in conversation. We call it prayer. But if you wake up and you think to yourself, I've got too many things to do that come first. And you don't pray. You got no excuse. You got no excuse. If you love God, you're going to love his word. Those who love me are going to follow my commands. You know, every single day you're supposed to be in the word, digging in scripture, finding out what does God think about this? How's God going to lead me? hiding scripture in your heart. But if you wake up every day thinking when things slow down, see that calendar? When I don't have so much going on, then I'll get back to reading my devotional. But, but this week or today, I'm just too busy. You got no excuse. The New Testament makes very clear. The New Testament makes very clear you're supposed to be involved with the body of believers. We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Most of the New Testament is about how we're supposed to treat each other in the church, just like the book of James. And we bear each other's burdens. We hold each other accountable. We love each other. We're there for each other. If you're like, man, I just can't do, I think I can make it that much. My kid's got travel ball. I'm just, I'm too busy. Did you pray about travel ball? Did you pray about all the stuff that you're doing that's keeping you from doing what God tells you to do? Because here's the deal. James says, it's no excuse. Everybody in here knows you're supposed to be serving in some capacity. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And Jesus is our example. New Testament makes very clear we think of others more than we think of ourselves. So whether you're a greeter, working the kids' ministry, serving the youth ministry, do something. The church is supposed to mobilize together, and that includes everyone in the church using their gifts and talents in order to spread the gospel. But you're like, man, I just can't serve. My schedule is too full. I don't have the time to do this. All right. You may think that's a good excuse, but James says that ain't an excuse. Is everybody following me? Say amen. Y'all right? We've been wearing our steel toes the last couple months, haven't we, y'all? We've had to. How about this one? How about this one? For the people that are crazy busy in here. You're like me. This is one I struggle with. You know that the Bible teaches clearly that you're supposed to have a Sabbath every single week. 
but you're not going to honor God by taking a Sabbath every single week. You got too much to do. Too much going on in my business. And Sabbath means rest. It doesn't mean running the kids all over where they want to go and just staying busy in a different way. Is everybody with me? Say amen. There's a big difference in rest. Sleep is not rest. How many of y'all know you can get plenty of sleep, but you can get no rest if you do that? You wake up in the morning just as tore up, if not even worse, than when you went to bed. Rest is different. But you know, like God says, you're supposed to have a Sabbath. By the way, this is one of the things that if you didn't take a Sabbath in the Old Testament, it was punishable by death. Seems like God takes it kind of serious. Jesus said God created the Sabbath not for God, but for you. The idea is you can get more done in six days taking a day off doing it God's way than you can in seven days doing it your way. But you're just too busy. You're too busy. Your schedule's too full. You got too much going on. James says no excuse. No excuse. Last week, after the service, I had a meeting, a facility meeting. And my life the last two months, y'all, has been insane. Okay, y'all, it's been insane. I've just been doing stuff that I'm not particularly good at or gifted at. A lot of administrative work, lots of meetings with facility teams. Last service, I said committee. That's a cuss word in Revolution Church. It's a team, okay, y'all? The facility teams, the finance team, elders, uh, talking about stuff with banks and interest rates. And that's not my world. That's not what I do. And uh, so the last 60 days have just been insane. And of course, you guys know what was coming up this past Thursday. And uh, so Sunday, I had a meeting and just had to finalize some things, make sure everything was all set and good to go. And uh, uh, I was exhausted. I was exhausted. Anybody ever been there? Everybody say amen. Like you ever been there? I mean, I was just, I was a walking zombie uh, most of this week, actually. Um, And so I drove home. I was glad the day was over. I was like, man, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a Sunday nap. Sunday naps are the best. Amen, y'all. And uh, they are for me. Talking to my wife because she's stopping at Walmart and we get home about the same time. And I get a phone call from my college minister, Donovan, Pastor Donovan. He says, hey, man, did you forget something? I said, no, man, I think I got my computer and everything. He said, well, your son's standing right in front of me. He was still here at the church. So I told him, just tell him I'll be there tomorrow to get him. Or he can walk home. It'll be good for him, you know. I didn't say that. They brought him home for me. Really thankful for Pastor Donovan and Ava. Um, You ever forget something really important? Talk about getting old here, right? You know what I mean? James is saying, Don't forget. Here's the idea from this passage. Don't forget you're not God. See, we can can forget things that are even very important things. I forgot my son. That's important, kind of. Some days more than others, but you know what I mean. No, I love you, T-Man. And we can forget this, can't we? You are not God. Don't forget that. Because if you forget that, you'll forget the best truth. And that's the idea that you are ruled and saved by the one true God. What James is saying is, you got to know who you are and where you're at on the pecking order of this thing. In effect, what James is saying is, knowing who you are is knowing whose you are. 
The greatest thing about the Christian life, and some of y'all need to hear this, maybe you've never heard this, is that when you come to Christ and know Jesus, all the weight, the burden is lifted off of you spiritually. You may get physically tired, but you can rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's no longer about what you do and the works and the good things that you do and all that stuff. You can rest in Him. And it takes the pressure off. It leads to fulfillment. Walking with Christ leads to true rest. James says, don't forget whose you are. Don't try to be Jesus. Don't try to be God in other people's lives. And don't try to be God in your life. Fair enough, Rep Church. Everybody say amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that is here, God. It's a struggle for me, man. Every one of us teeter-totters back and forth between the idea of submission to you and seeking your will and trying to fulfill our own desires. So God, as I pray for the plank in my eye, uh, I just pray maybe some people in here need to piggyback on this prayer for the planks in their high. Help me, God, to include you in everything, not just in the big stuff, not just the stuff that is life-changing in my mind, but in the everyday-to-day, God. Help me to walk in the Spirit. Help me to be filled with the Spirit so that every decision I make is exactly what you want me to do. I pray for our church, God, that you would give us strength God, you're getting ready to, to, to reach more people than we ever thought possible. We've already seen you do miracles and give us a facility and all this stuff. Keep us encouraged. I pray for the people in here that have been sitting on the sidelines that have decided they need to get in the game. They signed up for the growth track today. Figure out their purpose so that they can make a difference in the kingdom. And we mobilize together as a church in order to reach this county. We ignore the slander, we ignore the haters, we ignore the lies, and we move forward spreading your gospel, setting the captives free. We love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.